morning to each of you. I hope, uh, hope all of you got plenty of sleep last night. Uh, uh, fireworks going off at all, all hours of the night because it was, it, was it was the New Year somewhere in America. Uh, 9 and at 10 and at 11 and 12 and 1 all, all throughout the night. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep. So luckily our, our, none of our boys heard any of that. It didn't wake any of them up. So we got lots of, lots of sound machines going on in, the, in their room so that they don't hear any of that. Oh, but it is my family and I's pleasure to be here again this morning. Uh, thank you again for having us. Before we begin, uh, I would not want to begin a service in the Lord's house without first acknowledging his presence. Will you, will you bow with me in prayer this morning? Our Father and our God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love and for your grace. We thank you for sending your Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin to condemn sin in the flesh, that we would no longer serve it, but that we would serve you. We seek to do that this morning. We seek to know you, to understand you better this morning. May you be pleased to open our, open our, our ears, our eyes, and our mind, and our hearts to receive your word, to believe it, to trust in you in all of our ways. Lord Jesus, you did say where two or three are gathered together in your name, there you are in the midst thereof. We know, we know that we have met that condition. We know you are here. We desire your presence, your guidance, and your wisdom. We ask that you'll give this preacher utterance, all of your preachers and teachers today. Give them utterance that they may preach the word aright, that they may teach your word in a way that's well-pleasing in your sight. Cause us all to believe it, to trust in you for all things. And we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We open the word of God this morning to the book of the Revelation as we continue our study through the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. It's been several weeks, if I remember correctly, since we've, since we've examined this book. Uh, I uh, was reading a, a commentary that I was recently given on it, and the commentator said that, this is, uh, that Jesus Christ gives us the end times in the book of the Revelation, that that's the point. That is not the point. Uh, he does give us the end times in the book of the Revelation. That's not, the, that's not up for debate. But the whole point of the book is to reveal Jesus Christ to us. That is the point of the revelation of Jesus Christ. It opens, it, it opens our understanding to who Jesus Christ is in his glory. We see him in his earthly ministry in the Gospels. And the book of the Revelation shows us who he is and what he does in his glorified state how he is king of kings and lord of lords, how he does rule over all the nations with a rod of iron, and how he does that invisibly now, but how he will do that visibly one day yet future, and how he is also lord of the church. That is what we're, what we're going through uh, in, in Revelation chapter 3. I've got in my notes, and chime in if I'm incorrect, I believe we left off, left off at uh, verse 10 of chapter 3. <clears throat> where we've been going through his message to the church, at, uh, the church in Philadelphia. Now, this is not Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. This is, this is uh, the city in which that city gets its name from, Philadelphia in Asia Minor, which is in modern Turkey. 
uh, we've we've gone through verses seven through nine, but just as a recap, let's go through them go through them quickly. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write these things: saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, and he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. Now he's telling John to write this to the messenger. Angels are are messengers. Not every time in the scriptures does an angel refer to the creature we know of as angels. We've noted in the past, Judges chapter 13, where the angel of the Lord appears to Manoah and his wife, and and Manoah ends up realizing that that is God himself. That is not a creature. Uh, that That the angel of the Lord is not a creature. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the messenger of the Lord. He is also the Lord himself. He is the one who God, who God sent to do what it is that he desired for him to do. He has not just been God's beloved son in whom he's well pleased since Bethlehem. He's been God's son in whom he's well pleased since everlasting, since eternity. He is the one who was begotten in eternity as we, as we have seen uh, in Proverbs chapter 8 and elsewhere. So messenger is what's, what's uh, meant here, the one that would carry this message to the church in Philadelphia. The, these things saith he that is holy, or he that is, he that is set apart. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have a red letter Bible, uh, you'll know that this, uh, that this is the Lord speaking. He that is true, he that is the truth. Remember, he, he said that he himself is the way, the truth, and the life. He that hath the key of David. He has the keys of death and hell, as we see uh, in chapter 1. He has the keys of death and hell. I'm forgetting where where that is. Um, Regardless, he has the keys of death and hell uh, that we've previously seen in the book of the Revelation. But he also has the keys of the kingdom of God. He has the keys of, of death and cursing. He has the keys also of salvation and blessing. He is the one who is ruler of the kingdom of God, and he gets to determine what, uh, what it is that comes from the events. He is the one who determines all of these things for all authority, all power, all exousia, executive authority has been given, or executive power, meaning authority, has been given to him in heaven and on earth. He that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. He gets to determine. Not only uh, our knowledge of the scriptures, he's the one who opens our understanding. We saw in Luke chapter 24. Remember in Matthew chapter 13, he acknowledges that the disciples uh, the, who, who would become apostles. Blessed are your eyes, for they see. Blessed are your ears, for they hear. He acknowledges that they've been born again already, Matthew chapter 13. But in Luke 24... It says that he opened they their understanding that they may understand the scriptures. Even as born-again children of God, he opens our understanding at different times and in different, in different ways, at diff, uh, different subjects, different times. We're all, uh, our, our understanding is not going to be all at the same spot at the same time. Why did God make us? Di- why, God has the power that he could have just as soon as we're born again made us believe absolutely everything exactly the same. One reason I think that he doesn't do that is so that we might learn to unconditionally love one another. Because if you think, how easy is it to love someone who's just like you? Do not the publicans the same? But it's, 
it's much more difficult to love someone that's not exactly like you, uh, that doesn't believe just exactly like you. You know that God loves us unconditionally? There isn't a condition for his love. And he, he tells us to love one another just as he loved us. Uh, John, 1 John, uh, all, all, especially the writings of John tell us that very thing. Something for us to, uh, to take note of. But the, his, his power goes further than that. He's the one that opens and no man shutteth. He's going to talk about a door has been opened for this church later on that no man can shut. Uh, very possibly a door of evangelism. Or we'll see that uh, this church had little strength, little ability. They had, they had a small number of people. They couldn't do many things. But they have a door opened for them that no man can shut. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door. And no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength and hast kept my word and hast not denied my name. <clears throat> a door before them that no man can shut. I don't know exactly what that door entailed. It is my guess that since they, were, they had little strength, as the Greek word dunamis, there's two words for strength and power in, in the New Testament, dunamis and exousia. Exousia, we've, I've already mentioned, executive power, meaning authority. That's what Jesus has, Matthew 28. But dunamis is many times referenced as uh, when the Holy Spirit came in power, that's in dunamis, dynamic power where we get our, our word dynamic and dynamite, things, things, of that, uh, things of that nature, referring to doing wonders and marvels and miracles. But here, this little strength, this little ability, they didn't have the ability to do many things. They had a small number of people. When you have a small number of people, naturally, you can't, you can't accomplish everything that you intend to accomplish as a, as, as a church body. But... Because they have kept his word, and has not, they have not denied his name, even though they could have compromised. They could have compromised with the world and maybe, maybe won some favor with the world. But they didn't do that. They, they could have advanced what they, wanted, what they wanted to advance had they compromised. But they chose not to. They did not, they did not do that. And for that, because of that, the Lord opened a door for them that no man could shut. Behold, I will make of them, make them of the synagogue of Satan, which, the, which say they are Jews and are not, but do, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. And as always, if there's any comments, questions, you would like to discuss, discuss something further, feel free to chime right in. Here, the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not. The true Jew, as we've, as we've uh, discussed before, is not the Jew that was just circumcised in the flesh, the circumcision made with hands, but the Jew that also had the circumcision of the heart. Romans chapter 2 discusses that, Philippians uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, where, where Paul tells the Philippians, um, don't beware of the concision, the mutilation of the flesh. Beware of the Judaizers. He's talking about the Judaizers. Don't follow them. Follow for we are the true circumcision. He's talking about himself, himself and Timotheus, Timothy. Timothy was a Jew. You go to Acts chapter 16, you'll see that his mother was a Jewess and Paul had him circumcised because Timothy was a Jew. 
Paul did not have Titus circumcised. He didn't have any of the Gentile, uh, any of the Gentiles that um, followed him circumcised. But he had Timothy circumcised because Timothy was a Jew. So these these that say they are Jews and are not, they're not true Jews. They may be of the blood of Abraham, but that's not what makes a true Jew. A true Jew is one that has the blood of Abraham, but also uh, the circumcision of the heart, a new birth. That is what the circumcision was to picture, was the new birth. The, uh, um, so these are, say they are Jews and are not. They're not true Jews. They lie and say that they are. For there is a, a the true Jew, you, you see other references to the Israel of God in the book of Galatians, if I remember correctly. That is the Israel, the true, not all Israel are Israel. Not just because they're descended from Jacob are they the true Israel. The true Israel is found within Israel. It is smaller than Israel, just as Paul says in Romans chapter 9, 4, uh, in Isaac shall thy seed be called, not in um, Ishmael. It's, a, it's an ensmallment of the true Israel. The Israel of God is found within Israel. The true Jews, the ones that have the circumcision of the flesh and of the heart. He will make them know. He will make them come and worship before thy feet and to know that I, that God, that the Lord Jesus Christ has loved Gentiles. Now that was preposterous to them. Can you imagine reading some of the texts of the Old Testament that said things like, Egypt shall come up to Jerusalem. Or when Egypt does not come up to Jerusalem to worship, to offer sacrifices, that rain will be withheld. Now we know that that's talking about a future time because there's nothing, there's no reason for them to come to Jerusalem. But nevertheless, as a, as a Jew reading that text and wondering what could that possibly be referring to, not understanding there's going to come in the future a drastic change. Uh, in, in how this world operates when the, Lord, when the Lord Jesus returns. But they would acknowledge that these are God's people, that these, fake, these not true Jews would acknowledge that, yes, God loves Gentiles as well. It would have been a, a preposterous thing in their mind, but the Lord Jesus says that he'll make them acknowledge that truth. And we pick up at verse 10. <clears throat> Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. We've examined this verse in the past. Uh, you may, may not remember it. I preached a message regarding, not specifically on this text, but this text was used in that message. Because they have, because this church, not just individual members, but because this church has kept the words of his patience, the words of Christ's patience, they have walked in his ways. He hasn't said anything bad about them, and he won't. He has nothing against them. The church in Philadelphia, one, th one blessing about being a small church, it's much easier to follow God's word with a small number of people. Remember how, how many people were added to the church, of, the church in Jerusalem? Uh, it was, yes, about 3,000 souls were added unto them on the day of Pentecost. Now, that's, that, became, that was added to the church at Jerusalem. 
that's a large church all of a sudden, to practice unanimity. Can you imagine what it would be like to get at least 3,120 souls to agree on absolutely everything? That would be terribly difficult. You'd, you, wouldn't, you probably wouldn't be able to get anything done if you were following what the New Testament teaches about unanimity, unanimity in the, in the church body. It would be, which is uh, a fancy word for saying 100% vote. Every, the vote is unanimous. Everybody agrees that, yes, this is what we should do. And I know if, I'm, if I remember correctly, you, you guys practice that. I know we do that at Bethel. Uh, many times over and over and over in the New Testament, be of one mind, be of one accord, be of one heart, singleness of heart. Time and time again, it is, it is said to be that way. And so we, my wife and I practice that in our marriage. We practice that in our, uh, in our, in our local body in, there in Choctaw. And I'm, and I'm pretty sure you guys follow that as well. Um, the, and it brings about peace. It is, a, it is a blessing to have peace in, in all of life, especially in a church body. But this is a small church. Church with, with a few number of people would have been very easy uh, for all to agree. Now, it's not, we don't look to man for this unanimity. It's the Holy Spirit working in his people that brings about this unanimity. It's the Holy Spirit that makes us of one mind. That doesn't always occur. Uh, even, even when Katie and I aren't of the same mind, okay, we won't do anything. We will we'll wait until we both come to the same mind. So we do the same thing in Choctaw. You guys probably do the, uh, practice the same thing. We will hold off until we all come to, all come to an agreement. The, but this church, uh, a faithful church, because of that, he does say this to them. But this is also true of all of God's people. All of God's people, he will keep them out of the hour of temptation. But he tells this to the church in Philadelphia, because all of them, they don't have any goats in their assembly. There's only sheep in their assembly. And that's another thing that, the, that, the, the, that unanimity forces, is that when, when goats come in, and they, you know, because we can, we can think that a goat is a sheep. Judas had them completely fooled to the point where Jesus said, the one that dips with me, it's he that will betray me. And then Judas dips with him, and they just, just they, don't, they don't even see it. And he says, what thou doest, do quickly. And oh, okay, he must be sending him out to go buy more food for the supper. No, Jesus made it plain, but they, Judas had them so fooled. And we know Judas was not a saved man. He didn't lose his, we can't, salvation cannot be lost unless Christ's blood can be shed in vain. And we know that it cannot be shed in vain. There's many scriptures that teach that very truth. So, this is told specifically to the church, the, the entire body in Philadelphia, because all of them were God's people. Laodicea was not that way. They had goats in their assembly. All the rest of them had goats in the assembly, and that's why they had those issues. So it's something... Uh, that God will bring about. But this, this church in Philadelphia all saved people, which is why he gives them this promise. Something for, uh, and it is something for us to note. I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation. This temptation 
is also also translated. Um, uh, this is a, a noun. Also talks about trying, proving, testing, tribulation. Who who is going to be tested? Which shall come upon all the world to try. Here's the verb of the noun temptation: to try or to tempt, to test, to prove them that dwell on the earth. Them that dwell on the earth is a Greek phrase, earth dwellers. You, it's found all through the book of the Revelation, them that dwell upon the earth, them that dwell on the earth. Always the same Greek phrase, earth dwellers. Do you know that you and I are not earth dwellers? We may live here. How many times in the scriptures does it say that the years of his pilgrimage? We are strangers and pilgrims, Peter says. This is not our home. Amen. We're just passing through. This, this is, we are strangers and pilgrims here. The years of our pilgrimage will be such and such. What's a pilgrimage? A journey. From this, from here, to our true home. To our true home. Now, we will dwell on an earth that is in which righteousness is found, but it is not this earth. We will also rule and reign on this earth, but it isn't our final home. Our final home is the new heaven and the new earth. But our home currently, our city, where is our citizenship, our conduct, our, our um, conversation? That's uh, where it talks about citizenship is in heaven. That is, where, that is where our home is now. That home will come down. This hour of temptation that shall come upon the earth dwellers is not for us. It's not for God's people. But yet he tells the church at Philadelphia that he'll keep them out of it. We know it as the great tribulation. We know it as the, as the time of testing. Come to, come to 2 Peter, where 2 Peter, where Peter discusses that God knows how to save his people out of tribulation. 2 Peter chapter 2, and <clears throat> verse 9. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations, or trials, or tribulations, or testing, and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. He knows his people. The Lord knows those who are his. And what are the examples that were given? What are the examples that were given in this text? Back up to verse 6. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample. Do you know that Sodom and Gomorrah are an example? Just simply an example. They're one example of unto those that, should, that after should live ungodly. Now, how much light did they have? Very, I won't say zero. Very little. Very little light. Jesus said... It shall be worse in Tyre and Zion. Uh, no. Um, what, are the, what are the towns they said it will be worse for them than Sodom and Gomorrah? Was it Tyre and Sidon? I can't. Uh, it shall be worse for them than Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? Because they had the Son of God. They had all of the Old Testament, and they had the Son of God in their midst teaching them. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. 
They are without excuse. Because mm-hmm. God hath showed it unto them. He's revealed it to them in the conscience. They know, even by the things that are made, that he exists. Because my children will look at a building and know innately that it took a builder. He, uh, every house is builded by some man, the book of Hebrews says. But he that built all things is God. I did not know that uh, that argument was in the scriptures. Um, that, okay, every building is built by some man. And so then we've got creation. It requires a creator. But that argument's found in the scriptures. I didn't know that until somewhat recently. But it's there. And, it, and, and, it, and it's true. Because you can't have a creation without a creator. You can't have a building without a builder. So it, 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 it logically follows that, that every single person that has ever lived knows and they suppress, they hold that truth and unrighteousness. We'll, we'll, exa- we'll actually examine that a little bit later on this morning. Um, so, Sodom and Gomorrah had an example. They had Lot and delivered just Lot. Lot was a just man. Now, you read the Old Testament, you, you may not grasp that. But Abraham says it, my brother. Abraham references Lot as my brother. It, it was his nephew, not his brother. He's not talking about flesh and blood. He's talking about spiritual. He's talking about Lot being his spiritual brother because he knew Lot was a just man. And he even, and he even ref- references to talking, talking with the Lord. In Genesis 18, Will the Lord destroy the righteous with the wicked? Shall not the, the, the judge of all the earth do right? Implying that God, pun- God destroying his people with the wicked is unjust. And, uh, and, and, and wickedness. But the Lord says, no, I will not. I won't, I won't destroy it if there's ten righteous. But Abraham doesn't continue on because he knows that God destroyed the entire earth even though there were only eight righteous. Which is, uh, I actually missed verse 5. Verse 5 is Noah. And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. So who was tested there? It wasn't Noah. Noah, the eighth person, and his family, they escaped. They weren't, as, they weren't part of the judgment. The, the wicked world was, was, the, was what was judged, was what was tested, was what was tried. Sodom and Gomorrah were what was tested, what was tried, what was, what was judged. Not Lot and his family. Vexed with, uh, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation or conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. He tried to teach them. He went in thinking he was going to change them. I can make this a better... My wife wants to live there because she was the one who turned back, remember? My wife wants to live there, and it's a, it's a good plane. You know, he, he, Abraham gave him a choice. Either you can go this way, and it, it was all dead and scraggly, or you can go here where the plains are good. And so he pitched his tent towards Sodom and kept moving that way because that's where his wife wanted to be. And he thought, we'll go in and we can change it. We can. You can't make this a better place. It must take an act of God.
what 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 the Lord is saying there. The hour of the time. It's not a. It's not sixty minutes. Hour day does not always refer to sixty minutes and twenty four hours. When you say back in my day, you're not talking about a twenty four hour day. You're not talking about a twelve hour day. You're talking about a period of time. Um, the hour. It's it's a period of time of temptation, of trial, of testing that shall come upon uh, come upon those upon the earth. He's he's teaching. I will take them. I will take you out of that time period in which they will be tested. The and I understand that not everyone believes that way, and that's okay. I love you anyway. <laughs> even uh, even even though we may believe slightly different things, that's okay. <coughs> You don't have to believe just like me. I love you anyway. <laughs> uh, but in the book of the Revelation, because there will be uh, there will be some of God's people that come to know Him during that time that didn't know Him before. You'll have you'll have angels preaching the everlasting gospel. You'll have one hundred forty-four thousand Jews that are sealed uh, um, sealed in their foreheads, and they go out and preach. You'll have the two witnesses um, that that are then killed and rise. They, there will be an abundance of people that come to know the Lord in that time. And God says, when he, whenever He destroys one of the Babylons, come out of, come out of her, my people, and be ye separate, says the Lord. They will, they will come. God, God will always pull His people out before judgment falls. So, and that's and that's what's being taught here in Second Peter. That just like Lot, just like Noah. Just like the church in Philadelphia, God will always pull his people out before, before judgment falls. Uh, Egypt, whenever they passed through the Red Sea, judgment didn't fall on the Israelites, it fell on the Egyptians. So God could have let that water go at any time. And yes, the water was like a wall on either side. They didn't go through, they didn't go through ankle deep water. But as I mentioned before, that would also be an even greater miracle because God drowned an entire Egyptian army. And I bring that up because there are some theologians that say, oh, it wasn't the Red Sea, it was the Reed Sea, which is more like shallow pond, north, north of Egypt. Um, but back to our back to our text in the in the Revelation. Before we run run out of time. So we stop at the regular regular time, even though we started a little, little late this morning, it's up to up to you. Yeah. Um so the temptation, uh, the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them, to test them. That's the purpose of it, to test them that dwell upon the earth. They are earth dwellers. This is the closest that they will ever be. Realize that this is the farthest you and I will ever be from our God. This is the closest the wicked will ever be to heaven. This is the closest uh, that they will ever be. They'll spend eternity in the lake of fire. Burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. They'll spend some time in hell before then. But this is the closest that they'll be. This is the best that it gets for them. And that's a sad, that's that's sad to think about. That 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 that's that, that is us in our natural state. Without the grace of our Lord God, that's where we would be. Exactly where we would be had it not been for him working on our behalf. It would, it, 
had a leg off and died on the first day. We were, we were the sheep went astray, and we were the son of the poor. We were the chosen Israel. We were lost, and we were placed in ashes and death. And we were up, again, we were, we were upright at some point. If we, if we fell, we were upright before them. So that this, the purpose of this is to test them that dwell on the earth, that this is their home. We will test them, we will judge them, we will tempt them. Judgments will fall, and I do not know when, but I know every day we get a day closer. We look forward, we look forward to that day, we look forward to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ.